Welcome beyond our focus. I'm Stefan, this is Amanda, and this is Let's Palaver About Wizard and Glass. The fourth novel in the Stephen King saga, The Dark Tower. Wow. Today we're on the ninth chapter of the second part called Sitgo. Sitgo. Or Kitgo. Kitgo. No. Probably Sitgo. It's Sitgo. I would bet, bank on it being Sitgo, but yeah, you never know. They have a lot of other funny words in here. It could be Kitco. It could be Kit Kat. To go. <laughs> Kit Kat could own this, okay? It could be his thing. Technically, the G could be a K if it was written in Japanese and it had a little <laughs> chicka chicka over it. A chicka chicka? Yeah. Those chicka chickas. Yeah. All right. Here we go. The Peddler's Moon began to wane. I think it's opposite. I think the chicka chicka has to be removed for it to be a G. But anyways. I have no idea. I don't know. Enough. I believe so. Because I want to say it's, yeah, Kaki Kukeko. And then you put the little uh, dash marks. I, don't know. I, can't, I cannot for the life of me remember what they're called. But then the K turns into a G. Yeah. I don't anyways. know enough. I don't know enough. It would take the hottest, fairest part of the summer with it when it went. On an afternoon, four days past the full, the old Mozo? Mazo? I forgot to look it up. From Mayor's house. I would assume maybe McGill had uh, hmm? Landscaper, gardener, some kind of help. Some kind of help. I don't know. Uh, McGill had been there... Been there long before Hart Thorne's time, and would likely be there long after Thorne had gone back to his ranch. Uh, showed up at the house Susan shared with her aunt. He was leading a beautiful chestnut mare by a neck. By a neck, huh? Or by a hack. It would be a hack. That's not a neck. <laughs> hack doesn't make a lot more sense, but okay. It was the second of the three promised horses, and Susan recognized Felicia at once. The mare had been one of her childhood favorites. Susan embraced Miguel and covered his bearded cheeks with kisses. The old man's wide grin would have showed every tooth in his head if he had any left to show. Gracias, gracias. A thousand thanks, old father, she told him. Donata. I don't know all these fancy words. I know Donata's Spanish. I do know that much. I believe it's your welcome. It might be. Sandy would yeah. know. Instantly. But I don't... I'm, I'm, I will place my money on your welcome. Okay, he replied. I mean, this is probably a good bet. And hand her the brittle. It is the mayor's earnest gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And pretty much that... That kind of solidified it for her. Like, before it was just... She could kind of daydream her way through this entire situation. But the more gifts she's getting and the more attention he's paying to her, it's just getting real, more real as the time goes on. Yeah. It says, Felicia was no more a gift than Pylon had been. There were step-by-step fulfillments of a contract into which she had entered. Aunt Cord, would, Aunt Cord could express shock, but Susan knew the truth. That lay directly ahead was whoring, pure and simple. Aunt Cord, Aunt Cord was in the kitchen window as Susan walked her gift, which was really just returned property in her view, to the stable. Yes, Felicia was one of their horses that pretty much when they lost everything got taken. So he's really just kind of returning one of their horses. I mean, well, that and Pylon. Yeah. These yeah. are horses that they owned, then her father died. They lost Some everything. funny business happened, yeah. and now it's being returned because the mayor can sleep with her. Yeah, it was the second of the three promised horses. Mm. Uh, but yes, and then of course, her aunt decided to call out something cheery and like, oh, it'll, it'll keep you busy, it'll keep your mind off things, and Susan... Is like she really wanted to say something. She really, really wanted to say something. 
Well, ever since the shouting match, they've um, they've kept peace for the most <laughs> part. Because often silence is best, her father had told her, when at age ten or so, she had asked him why he was always so quiet. The answer had puzzled her then, but now she understood better. You know, people don't like silence either. Okay. They don't like when you're loud, and they don't like when you're silent. Well, it seems to do well for her aunt, at least. Cord could be silent forever, for all I care. (laughs) Just stay silent. So she stables Felicia next to Pylon, and then realizes that, of course, Thorin had put these gaudy silver horseshoes on her, and she's like, no. No. So she decides to go to Hookie's stable and fancy library. And it says, Feeling the leather bag bang against her hip brought back her father in a way so fresh and clear that grief pricked her again and made her feel like crying. She thought he would have been appalled at her current situation, perhaps even disgusted, and he would have liked Will Dearborn, of that she was sure, liked him and approved of him for her. It was the final miserable touch. sure if your dad was still alive, you wouldn't be in this situation. The whole situation wouldn't exist. It'd be very different. The whole thing would be different. I don't think he would have been like, we are really low on everything. Here's my daughter. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's how things would have went. So, yes. She ends up in Hookie's. Is it Hookie? I assume Hookie, Stable, and Smithy. Something along those lines. Yeah. It says, uh, um, it says, fresh paint too. Hookie's stable and smithy looked very well indeed. Glancing up, she saw not so much as a single hole in the barn roof. Times had been good for Hookie, it seemed. And that's a key point. Remember that. Oh, times have been good. Because if you if you think about all the horseshoes that are still there, I mean, it's not right. some some has to be selling. I mean, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. He wrote the new shoes up on a beam, still wearing his blacksmith's apron and squinting horribly out of one eye at his own fingers. When Susan began to speak, haltingly to him about payment, he laughed. Told her he knew she'd settle her account as soon as she could. God's bless her, yes. Sides, they weren't any of them going anywhere, were they? Nope, or nop, nop. All the time gently <laughs> propelled her through the fragrant smells of hay and horses towards the door. He would not have treated even treated even so small of a matter as four iron shoes in such a carefree manner a year ago. But now she was Mayor Thorne's good friend, and things had changed. Oh, lots of things have changed. Oh, yes. Definitely. The afternoon sunlight was dazzling after the dimness of Hookie's barn, and she was momentarily blinded, groping forward toward the street with the leather bag bouncing on her hip and the shoes clashing softly inside. She had just a moment to register a shape looming in the brightness, then it thumped into her hard enough to rattle her teeth and make Felicia's new shoes clang. She would have fallen, but for strong hands that quickly reached out and grasped her shoulders. By then, her eyes were adjusting, and she saw with dismay and amusement that the young man who had almost knocked her sprawling into the dirt was one of Will's friends, Richard Stockworth. "'Oh, Si, your pardon,' he said, brushing the arms of her dress as if he had knocked her over. "'Are you well? Are you quite well?' "'Quite well,' she said, smiling. "'Please don't apologize.' She felt a sudden wild impulse to stand on tiptoe and kiss his mouth and say, Give that to Will and tell him to never mind what I said. Tell him there are a thousand more where that came from. Tell him to come and get every one. Instead, she fixed on a comic image. This Richard Stockworth smacking Will full on the mouth and saying it was from Susan Delgado. She began to giggle. She put her hands to her mouth, but it did no good. Cy Stockworth smiled back at her, tentatively, cautiously. He probably thinks I'm mad, and I am. I am. Good day, Mr. Stockworth, she said, and passed on before she could embarrass herself further. Good day, Susan Delgado, he called in return. Um, 
Half an hour later, as she took the new iron from her Da's shoe bag, she found out there was a folded scrap of paper tucked in between two of the shoes. And even before she unfolded it, she understood that her collision with Mr. Stockworth hadn't been an accident. Not even a little bit. No. No. Slide of the hand. Slide yeah, of the hand. A very good slide of the hand. She recognized Will's handwriting at once from the note in the banquet. Yeah, bouquet. Susan. Bouquet. Yep, that would make more sense than banquet. Uh, and the bouquet. Susan, can you meet me at Sitco this evening, evening, or tomorrow evening? Very important. Has to do with what we discussed before. Please. W. P.S. Best you burn this. Note. Probably is best. Just yeah, no one needs to ever find these notes. It's proper. It's proper. She burned it at once, and as she watched the flames first flash up and then die down, she murmured over and over the one word in it which had struck her the hardest. Please. Why Sitgo? Uh, has to do with what we discussed before. Yes, probably. She did not doubt his honor, although she had much come to wonder if he and his friends were who they say they were. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe not. He probably did want her for some reason which bore on his mission. Although, how the oil patch could... That was right, right? Want to see her, not just want her. Well, he wants her to, okay? They, <laughs> they both go the same thing. She's trying to get away from those thoughts. She's <laughs> they're, all, they're all in here. Although, how the oil patch could have anything to do with too many horses on the drop, she did not know. But there was something between them now, something sweet and dangerous. They might start off talking, but would likely end up kissing. And kissing would just be the start. Knowing didn't change the feeling, though. She wanted to see him. Needed to see him. <laughs> all she wanted stood against all she believed of honor, and her mind roared with conflict. Around all, like a rising wind around an unstable house, she felt the idea of Ka growing. Yet to give over one's honor for that reason was so easy, wasn't it? To excuse the fall of virtue by invoking all-powerful Ka... It was soft thinking. She had never been a religious girl, had little faith in the dim gods of Midworld. So at the last of it, with the sun gone and the sky above its point of exit, going from red to purple, she tried to pray to her father. And the answer came, although whether from him or from her own heart, she didn't know. Let Ka mind itself, the voice in her mind said. It will, anyway. It always does. If Ka should overrule your honor, so it will be. In the meantime, Susan, there's no one to mind it but yourself. Let Ka go and mind the virtue of your promise, hard as that may be. All right, she said. In her current state, she discovered that any decision... Even one that would cost her another chance to see Will was a relief. I'll honor my promise. Call can take care of itself. So pretty much she's like, I'm just going to stick to what I originally agreed to. This is my contract. This is my honor. But if it happens, it happens. The next day was Sunday, the traditional cowboy's day of rest. Roland's little band took his, this day off as well. It's fair enough that we should, Cuthbert said, since we don't know what the hell we're doing in the first place. Mm-hmm. On this part- particular sand day, there's six that's coming to Hambry. Cuthbert was in the upper market. Lower market was cheaper, by and large, but too fishy smelling for his liking. Looking at brightly colored serapes and trying not to cry, for his mother had a serape. Like, it's like, I know what it is. Like, I can picture it, but I, I wouldn't know how to pronounce the word. I don't know. Yeah, I'm it guessing. Like to me. It was a great favorite of hers, and thinking of how she would ride out sometimes with it flowing from her shoulders had filled him with homesickness so strong it was savage. 
Arthur Heath, Roland's Kame, Kamai, Kame, missing his Kame mama Kame. so badly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> missing his mama so badly, his eyes were wet. It was a joke worthy of, well, worthy of Cuthbert Allgood. As he stood so, looking at the strappes and hanging rack of Dolina blankets, with his hands clasped behind his back like a patron in an art gallery, and blinking back tears all the while, there came a light tap on his shoulder. He turned, and there was the girl with the blonde hair. Cuthbert wasn't surprised that Roland was smitten with her. She was nothing short of breathtaking, even dressed in jeans and a farm shirt. Her hair was tied back with a series of rough rawhide hanks, and she had eyes of the brightest gray Cuthbert had ever seen. Cuthbert thought it was a wonder that Roland had been able to continue with any other aspect of his life at all, even down to the washing of his teeth. Certainly, she came with a cure for Cuthbert. Sentimental thoughts of his mother disappeared in an instant. Sigh, he said. It was all he could manage, at least to start with. She nodded and held out what the folk of Magis called a corvée, I assume, or... I was going to say Corvette, but I don't think she's handing out cars. I don't think so, but I still think it's pronounced Corvette. I'm pretty sure. Sure? Okay. I'll go with it. I think. You're pretty sure you think. I think. I've heard the word before. I think it is Corvette. Okay. Little packet was the literal definition. Little purse was the practical one. These small leather accessories, big enough for a few coins, but not much more, was more often carried by ladies than gentlemen, although that was not a hard and fast rule of fashion. Ye drop this, Cully, she said. Nay, thank ye, sigh. This one will might have been the property of a man, plain black leather, and unadorned by foufras, but he had never seen it before, never carried a corvette for that matter. It just sounds so <laughs> It's yours, she said, and her eyes were now so intense that her gaze felt hot on his skin. He should have understood at once, but he had been blinded by her unexpected appearance. Yes, Cuthbert, you should have understood the first time. Also, he admitted by her cleverness. You somehow didn't expect cleverness from a girl this beautiful. Beautiful beautiful girls did not, as a rule, have to be clever. So far as Bert could tell, all beautiful girls had to do was wake up in the morning. It is. Oh, I, he said, almost snatching the little purse from her. He could feel a foolish grin overspreading his face. Now that you mention it, sigh. Susan. Her eyes were grave and watchful above her smile. Let me be Susan to you, I pray. With pleasure. I cry your pardon, Susan. It's just that my mind and memory, realizing it's Sandy, have joined hands and gone off on a holiday together. Eloped, you might say. And left me temporarily without a brain in my head. He might, have, he might well have rattled on like that for another hour. He had before to that both Roland and Elaine could testify. But she stopped him with an easy briskness of an older sister. I can easily believe you have no control over your mind, Mr. Heath, or the tongue hung below it. But perhaps you'll take better care of your purse in the future. Good day. She was gone before he could get another word out. You dropped it, Cuthbert! It's yours. This is yours. (laughs) Come on, you use your brain, Cuthbert. It's just a moment. I understand it. I mean, all kind of secret letters going back and forth. Get, get the point. At least he got it. He got it on the second time. Otherwise, it's like you see, it has your name written on it. <laughs> right here, it says, says, says whatever his name is. Is he Richard? I, I, I always forget. No, he's Arthur. Arthur Heath. I always forget who's who. Always. So he ran. She ran into Elaine. Yeah, Elaine. Okay. Yeah. I forget. I got mixed up. Again, I get their names mixed up. Will's the only one. Will. I can get his, but cause we see him so often. But Arthur and Richard and yeah. I don't know who's who. And then half the time they're saying Cuthbert and Elaine. Exactly. Like, so many names, so little time. I don't know. Like we're done. Bert found Roland where he so often was these days, out on the part of the drop. That was called Town Lookout by many of the locals. It gave a fair view of Hambury, dreaming away its Sunday afternoon in a blue haze. But Cuthbert rather doubted that doubted the Hambury view was what drew his oldest friend back here time after time. He thought it was he thought that its view of Delgado's house was the more likely reason. 
And I would guarantee that's the We're exact go with reason. The ding, ding, ding. And every time I see Sunday, I keep wanting to say Sunday. Yeah, because it should be Sunday. <laughs> I guarantee that's what day it is, but we're calling it a Sunday. This day, Roland was with Elaine, neither of them saying a word. Cuthbert had no trouble accepting the idea that some people could go long periods of time without talking to each other. But he did not think he would ever understand it. You gotta keep talking. He came riding up with the, uh, up to them at a gallop, reached inside his shirt, and pulled out the Corvette. From Susan Delgado. She gave it to me in the upper market. She's beautiful. And she's also a willy as a snake. I say that with utmost admiration. Roland's face filled with light and life. When Cuthbert tossed him the Corvette, he caught it in one hand and pulled the lace tie with his teeth. Inside, where the traveling man would have kept his few scraps of money, was a single folded piece of paper. Roland read this quickly, the light going out in his eyes, the smile fading off his mouth. Oh, poor Roland. It's bad news. Hey, shut your face. This is little Roland, okay? Uh, Little Roland. Elaine handed him the note. It was only a single line, two sentences. It's best we don't meet. I'm sorry. Cuthbert read it twice, as if rereading it might change it, then handed it back to Roland. Roland put the note back in the Corvette, tied the lace, and then tucked the little purse into his shirt. Cuthbert hated silence. Worst, worst, uh, Cuthbert hated silence. Worst in danger. It was danger to his mind, but every conversational opening he tried in his mind seemed callow and unfeeling. Given the look of his friend's face, it was if Roland had been poisoned. Cuthbert was disgusted at the thought of the lovely young girl bumping hips with that old, or that long, I don't know why I said old, hips with that long and bony mare hamper. It would have worked too, yes. But the look on Roland's face now called up stronger emotions, for that he could hate her. At last, Elaine spoke, almost timidly. And now, Roland, shall we have a hunt out there at the old patch without her? Cuthbert Cuthbert admired that. Upon uh, upon first meeting him, many people dismissed Elaine Jones. Nope, Johns, Elaine Johns, as something of a dullard. Fun work, too. That was very far from the truth. Now, in a diplomatic way, Cuthbert could never have matched. He had pointed out that Roland's unhappy first experience with love did not change their responsibilities. No, it did not. And Roland responded, raising himself off the saddle horn and sitting up straight. The strong golden light of the summer's afternoon lit his face in harsh contrast. And for a moment, that face was haunted by the ghost of the man he would become. Cuthbert saw that ghost and shivered, not knowing what he saw, only knowing that it was awful. The big coffin hunters, he said. Did you see them in town? Jonas and Reynolds, Cuthbert answered. Still no sign of DePape. I think Jonas must have choked him and thrown him over the sea cliffs in a bit of peak after that night in the bar. Roland shook his head. Jonas needs them and he trusts too much to waste them. He's as far out on thin ice as we are. No, de Pape's just been sent off for a while. Sent where? Elaine asked. Where? Okay. Where he'll have to shit in the bushes and sleep in the rain if the weather's bad. Roland laughed shortly without much humor. Jonas has got de Pape running our back trail, more likely than not. Good on you, Roland. Good on you. Very smart there, aren't you, Roland? You're a clever fella. That's why you're the leader here. We'll wait a little bit longer, he said. Perhaps she'll change her mind. Roland, Elaine began, and his tone was deadly in its gentleness. Roland raised his hands before Elaine could go on. Doubt me not, Elaine. I speak as my father's son. All right. Elaine reached out and briefly gripped Roland's shoulder. As for Cuthbert, he reserved judgment. Roland might or might not be acting as his father's son. Cuthbert guessed that at this point, Roland hardly knew his own mind at all. Do you remember what Court used to say was the primary weakness of maggots such as us? Roland asked with a trace of a smile. You run without consideration and fall in a hole. 
Elaine quoted in a gruff imitation that made Cuthbert laugh aloud. Roland's smile broadened a touch. Aye, they're words I mean to remember, boys. I'll not upset this cart in order to see what's in it. Not unless there's no other choice. Susan may come around yet, given time to think. I believe she would have agreed to meet me already, if not for other matters between us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think you're still a little blinded by love. That's what I think. I wish our fathers hadn't sent us, Elaine said at last, although it was Roland's father who had sent them. All three knew it. We're too young for matters such as these. Too young by years. We did all right that night in the rest, Cuthbert said. That was training, not guile. And they didn't take us seriously. That won't happen again. No. No, it will not. Um, will you send her another note, Will Dearborn? Elaine asked. Roland thought about it. Cuthbert laid an interior bet with himself on which Roland, which way Roland would go, and lost. No, he said at last. We'll have to give her time, hard as that is, and hope her curiosity will bring her around. And then we have this giant paragraph about how she worked herself to the bone so she could try to sleep. Yeah, pretty much. So, it didn't work. Finally, she reached the conclusion Roland had already come to. And there had been no attraction for her in those eyes eyes of his, or the touch of his hands and lips. She would have agreed in in a flash to, to the meeting he wanted, if only to set her troubled mind to rest. At this realization, relief overspread her, and she was able to sleep. Yeah, pretty much, because she relate. One of the things she was thinking of, besides, of course, Will Dearborn, was was her father really murdered? And it just kept bothering her and bothering her. And then she realized that if not for the fact that she was attracted to Roland and Roland was attracted to her, she would have instantly agreed to it so that she could find out more information about what's going on. And so she's like, you know what? I can do this. Hello there, little coffin hunters. Uh, uh, he cried cheerfully and made a bow which was an amusingly good imitation of their own. Cuthbert particularly enjoyed seeing such a bow done in gardening sandals. How be you? Well, I'm hoping, so I do. Right as rain barrels. Sure, Cuthbert said. But none of us enjoy being called little coffin hunters. So maybe you could just play soft on that, all right? I, she may said, as cheerful as ever. I, Mr. Arthur Heath. Good fellow who saved my life. He paused and looked puzzled for a moment, as if unable to remember why he had approached them in the first place. Then his eyes cleared, his grin shone out, and he held a packet out to Roland. For you, Will Dearborn. Really? What is it? Seeds, so they are. From you, Shimi? Oh, no. Roland took the packet, just an envelope, which had been folded over the over and sealed. There was nothing written on the front or back, and the tips of the fingers felt no seeds within. Who from, then? Can't remember, said Shimmy, who had who then cast his eyes aside. His brain had been stirred just enough. Roland reflected so that he would never be unhappy for long. So he would never be unhappy for long, and which never, and would never be able to lie at all. Then his eyes, hoping, hopeful and timid, came back to Roland. I remember what I was supposed to say to you, though. Aye, then say it, Shimmy. Speaking as one who recited a painfully memorized line, both proud and nervous, he said, These are the seeds you scattered on the drop. Roland's eyes blazed so fiercely that Shimi stumbled back a step. He gave his sombrero a quick tug, turned and hurried back to safety of his flowers. He liked Will Dearborn and Will's friends, especially Mr. Arthur Heath who sometimes said things that made Shimi laugh fit to spit. But in that moment, he saw something in Will Sai's eyes that frightened him badly. In that instant, he understood that Will was as much a killer as the one as the one in the cloak, or the one who had wanted Shimi to lick his boots clean, or old white-haired Jonas with the trembling voice. 
as bad as them or even worse. They're pretty evil at the moment. Yes. Roland hasn't done like a just massive amount of killing. Not yet, anyway. So they head back to the bar cave. Roland took the envelope from inside his shirt and tore it open. As he did, he reflected that Susan had known exactly what to say, to a nicety. The others bent in, Elaine from his left and Cuthbert from his right, as he unfolded the single scrap of paper. Again, he saw her simple, neatly made writing, the message not much longer than the previous one, very different in content, however. There is an orange grove a mile off the road on the town side of Sitgo. Meet me there at moonrise. Come alone. S. And below that, printed in an emphatic letters, little letters, burn this. We'll keep a lookout, Elaine said. Roland nodded. Aye, but from a distance. Yeah. Then he burned the note. <laughs> All kinds of a distance. Is the, di- is the distance so that she doesn't see you, or is it so you don't see them? What's going on here? <laughs> so they meet in the orange grove. He heard her, but until she was almost on top of him. If she'd been an enemy instead of a friend, he might still have time to draw and fire, but it would have been close. He was filled with admiration, and he saw her face in the starlight. He felt his heart gladden. She halted when he turned and merely looked at him. Her hands linked before her at the waist, at her waist in a way that was sweetly and unconscious unconsciously childlike he took a step towards her and they came up in what he took for an alarm he took a step towards her and they came up in what he took for alarm he stopped confused but he had misread her gesture in the chancy light it's a fun light she could have stopped then, okay, read, 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 read. I'm butchering it, read it. She could have read stopped it. then, but chose not to. She stepped toward him oh. deliberately, a tall young woman in a split riding skirt and plain black boots. Her sombrero hung down on her back against the bound rope of her hair. Will, Dearborn, we are met both fair and ill. She said in a trembling voice, and then he was kissing her. They burned against one another as the peddler rose in the famine of its last quarter. Could barely wait. Just could. Just could not go. Not even a second. Not even. Uh, something they mention a lot about Susanna. Yeah. Like a lot. Susan. 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 Is that she's tall. Yes. They mention it like almost every time there's any description of her. She is tall. This girl is tall. She's quite tall. Well, and Roland has bombardier eyes, so we're gonna. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many times they've, they've we've gone over it. Susan's tall. Or not like tall, tall, but tall for a girl. So then we get this short little excerpt of Rhea being obsessed with the pink glowing orb glass. Yes. She's been so obsessed, that's all she does. She doesn't clean her house anymore. She doesn't take care of her animals. Her snake is like literally roaming the house now, like eating bugs. The cat's just pissed off all the time. And she just... And this orb is draining her life force yeah. essentially it described it earlier as when it the glow first hit her it kind of, you saw the younger ray that used to be here that's gone now it's yeah. literally just dead nasty old woman well they explain that she has some type of youthfulness she's quite old but she's not she doesn't look as old as she actually is she's yeah. been around the town for a very long long time and that yeah this is really zapping anything she had in her Yes, and she is now has a fascination with watching the goings-on of Susan, the girl that she proved honest, and her minglings with Will Dearborn, and she's just, this is like a soap opera to her. She's loving it. She's just, she's, yeah. Rhea's having a great time. A great freaking time. And then, of course, it's like they're making out and they finally just break apart. She's like, okay, we actually have to think about serious things now. (laughs) What are we to do? Oh, Will, what are we to do? The best we can, he said. 
as we both always have, as our fathers taught us. This is mad. Roland, who had never felt anything so sane in his life, even the deep ache, and, and it's growing there, and it's got all growing. Well, it happens. Mm. Do you know how dangerous this, dangerous tis, tis is, it is, this is, this, sure. Yeah. Let's just go with this extreme abbreviation. She asked, and went on before he could reply, I ye do, I can see ye do. If we were seen together at all, twould be serious to be seen as we just were. She shivered. Uh. Have you set your friends to watch? Aye, he said, and then his face opened in that unexpected smile she loved so well. But not where they can watch us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank gods for that, she said, and laughed rather distractedly. Because yeah, I'm sure they're stupid. They don't know what's going on. Who are you really, Will? Almost who I say I am. That's the joke of this, Susan. My friends and I weren't sent here because we were drunk and helling, but we weren't sent here to uncover any fell plot or secret conspiracy either. We were just boys to be put out of the way in a time of danger. All that's happened since... He shook his head to show how helpless he felt, and Susan thought again of her father saying Ka was like a wind. When it came, it might take your chickens, your house, your barn, even your life. And is Will Dearborn your real name? He shrugged. One name's as good as another, I wot, if the heart that answers to it is true. Susan's, you were at the mayor's house today, for my friend Richard saw you ride up. Aye, fittings, for I am to be this year's reaping girl. It's heart's choice. Nothing I ever would have had on my own. Mark, I say it. A lot of foolishness, and hard on Olive as well, I warrant. You will make the most beautiful reap girl that ever was. And then we get a description of how Reaping. there's... How many outfits? There's five changes of costumes for her, and then a sixth nighty, like a, a moo-moo. <laughs> when you were up there, did you see the ones who call themselves the Big Coffin Hunters. I saw Jonas and the one with the cloak standing together in the courtyard and talking, she said. Not the pape? The redhead? She shook her head. Do you know the game Castles, Susan? And then we get this very interesting description of what Castles is. That is similar, but not exactly chess? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. Let's see here. Then you know how the red pieces stand at one end of the board and white at the other. How they come around the hillocks and creep toward each other, setting screens for cover. What's going on here in Hambury is very like that. And in this game, oh, as in the game, it's now become a question of who will break cover first. Do you understand? She nodded at once. In the game, the first one around his hillock is vulnerable. In life, too. Always. But sometimes, even staying in cover is difficult. My friends and I have counted nearly everything we dare to count. To count the rest. The horses on the drop, for instance. Aye, just so. To count them would be to break cover. Or the oxen we know about. Her eyebrows shot up. There's no oxen in Hambry. He must be mistaken about that. No mistake. Where? The rocking H. Now her eyebrows drew back down and knitted in a thoughtful frown. That's Laszlo Reimer's place. Aye, Kimba's brother. Nor are those the only treasures hidden away in Hambry these days. There are extra wagons, extra tack hidden in barns belonging to members of the Horsemen Association. Wow. Members of the Horsemen's Association. I say members of the, 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 the what are the, the horsemen, the, what are they called? The, the seven horsemen or whoever <laughs> they are. Extra caches of feed. Will, no. Yes, all that and more. But to count them, to be seen counting them, is to break cover. To risk being castled, our recent days have been pretty nightmarish. We try to look profitably busy without moving over to the drop side of Hambry, where most of the danger lies. It's harder and harder to do. Then we received a message. A message? How? From whom? Best you not know these things, I think. But it's led us to believe that some of the answers we're looking for may be at Sitgo. Well, do you think what's out there may help me to know more about what happened to my da? I don't know. It's possible, I suppose, but not likely. 
All I know for sure is that I finally have a chance to count something that matters and not be seen doing it. So yes, the one thing, the one thing that she talked herself into, the whole, well, he might actually have answers about my dad's death that I need to know. So I can look past the whole thing that I want him. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm going to go see him. Yeah, we, yeah they've Roland, already kissed once. And, and Roland's like, most likely you're not going to find anything in this particular place. But hmm. With my dad, he were always interested in the old people. And my Aunt Cord always said he'd come to a bad end. Meddling in their leavings, she swallowed hard. And he did come to a bad end. Although I doubt it were the old people responsible. Poor Da. Yeah, I get the feeling it wasn't. Yeah. Just throw it out. I just, uh... I just like how it's, um... Uh, they had reached a smooth wire fence. Beyond it, the gantries of the oil well stood against the sky like sentinels the size of Lord Perth. How many had she said were still working? Nineteen. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nineteen. Nineteen. Always oh, nineteen. It has to be nineteen. <laughs> the sound of them was ghastly. The sound of monsters being choked to death. Of course it was the kind of place that kids dared each other to go into. A kind of open-air haunted house. Let's go. Uh -huh, but you have to do this. Uh, you understand what these are, were, he asked Susan, tapping out one of the... Tapping one of the cylinders. Aye. When there was electricity, some went through here. She paused and added shyly, It's how you feel. How I feel when you touch me. Of course. Uh, thank, thank you, Susan. This is what we needed. It'd be like you... And then he kisses her cheek. That's all you need. For someone who is like, Okay, we can't do this. We can't do this. You can't do this. She's the one sitting there, like, just throwing up. Yeah, we get a lot more answers here towards the end of the Yeah, chapter. I know, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also find out that they have the whistle of the Nighthawk as their warning sign to each other. Whistle of the Nighthawk. The first time the gas jet flared ahead of them, Will spat a curse under his breath. An obscenely energetic one she hadn't heard since her father died and dropped the, the hand not holding hers to his belt. Be easy, it's only the candle, the gas pipe. He relaxed slowly. That, that they use, don't they? Aye, to run a few machines, little more than toys they are, to make ice, mostly. I had some the day we met the sheriff. And they point out an old shed. Yeah. There were useful things in there when my dad was a child, she said. Paper and such. Even a few ink writers that would still work. For a little while, at least. If you shook them hard. She pointed to the left of the building. There were... Uh, where there was a vast square of crumbling paving. Crumbled paving? And a few... Rusting hulks that had been the old people's weird, horseless mode of tr travel. Vehicle. Yeah, those, the vehicles don't exist anymore. It's still weird. I don't know. I still find it weird about this place. Is that all this remnants of what was. And no one's like really figured out how to make things work or understands it very well. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the world just started over pretty much. It did, but all the stuff was still there. It's just, it's weird to me. It's, okay, it's like Arthur Weasley asking Harry, what's the no, purpose? No, no, their of world that? never makes any sense. What, what's the Nothing purpose? about that makes what sense. What is the purpose of a rubber duck? Okay. No, there's a lot of things about that that doesn't make sense. I'd go on a whole tyrant about that. Uh, but yeah, so. Mode of travel. Yeah. There we go. Once there were things over there that looked like gas storage tanks, only much, much larger. Like huge silver cans. There they were. They didn't rust like those that are left. I can't think of what became of them unless someone hauled them off for water storage. 
I never would. Twould be unlucky, even if they weren't contaminated. Of course they'd be unlucky. She turned her face up to his, and he kissed her. Again. I mean, this, this, this whole, the Sid Go All Pack is just foreplay the whole time. <laughs> Probably. Uh, oh, Will, what a pity this is for you. What a pity for the both of us. He said, and then passed between them one of those long and aching looks of which only teenagers are capable. They looked away at last, walked on again, hand in hand. What's this, he asked. The pipe that took the earl to yon building, I reckon. It means nothing. It's been dry for years. He dropped to one knee, slid his hand carefully into the space between the concrete sleeve and the pipe's rusted side. She watched him nervously biting her lip to keep herself from saying something which would surely come out sounding weak and womanish. Womanish? Womanish. Hmm. What if they were biting spiders down there in the forgotten dark? Or what if his hand got stuck? What would we do then? Oh my god! Roland gets taken out by a black widow. That's, that's what it is. There's his end right there. Of that ladder, there had been no chance. She saw when he pulled his hand free. It was slick. And black with oil. Dry for years, he asked with a little smile. She could only shake her head bewildered. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they climb over a fence and he notices, or she notices, that his hands placement are a little too friendly for just helping over the fence. But if he doesn't stop, the top of my head will explode like the candle. I said just massive out. amounts of foreplay this entire time. Danger and excitement and Another of those long glances passed between them as they stood on the far side of the gate, and then they went down the hill together. As they walked, she noticed an odd thing. Many of the pines had been stripped of their lower branches. The hatchet marks and scabs of pine resin were clear in the moonlight and looked new. She pointed this out to Will, who nodded but said nothing. Um, there were tracks here, very big ones. Only one thing could have made them. Oxen, she said. Aye, they came from there. He pointed at the place where the pipe ended. And they go, he turned on the soles of his boots, still hunkering and pointed back towards the slope where the wood started. Now that he pointed them out, she easily saw what she should have seen at once. Horseman's daughter that she was. A, a perfunctory? Yes. That's a fun, I don't even know that word. Effort that had been made to hide the tracks and the churning up ground where something heavy had been dragged or rolled. Time had smoothed away more of the mess, but the marks were still clear. She even thought she knew what the ox had been dragging, and she could see that Will knew as well. Hmm, I wonder what they were. They were shallow. It had been a dry summer, by and large, and the ground was nearly as hard as concrete, but they were there. To, st- to still be able to see them all meant that some good the amount of weight had been moved. And I, of course, why else would oxen be needed? Look, Will said as they neared the hem of the forest at the foot of the slope. She finally saw what had caught his attention, but she had to get down on her hands and knees to do it. How sharp his eyes were! Almost supernaturally so. There were boot tracks here, not fresh, but they were a lot lower than the tracks of the oxen and the wheel ruts. This was the one with the cape, he said, indicating a clear pair of tracks. Reynolds. Will, thee can't know it. He looked surprised, then laughed. Sure I can. He walks with one foot turned in a little, the left foot, and here it is. He stirred the air over the tracks with the tip of his finger, then laughed again at the way she was looking at him. "'Tisn't sorcery, Susan, daughter of Patrick, only trailcraft. "'How do ye know so so much so young?' she asked. "'Who are ye, Will?' "'He stood up and looked down into her eyes. "'He didn't have to look far, for she was tall for a girl. (laughs) (laughs) "'We have to make sure you know this.' "'My name's not Will, but Roland,' he said, "'and now I've put my life in your hands. "'That I don't mind, but mayhap I've put your own life at risk as well.' You must keep it a dead secret. Roland, she said wonderingly, taste it. Aye, which do you like better? Your real one, she said at once. 
"'Tis a noble name, so it is. He grinned, relieved, and this was the grin that made him look young again. She raised herself on her toes and put her lips on his. And then, huge makeout session. Well, and then she opened her mouth to tell him so, and then a queer but utterly persuasive sensation enfolded her. They were being watched. It was ridiculous, but it was there. She even felt she knew who was watching. She stepped back from Rowan, her boots heels rocking unsteadily on the half-eroded oxen track. Get out, ye old bee. She breathed. If ye be spying us in, on us in some way, I know not how. Get thee gone. So she felt the eyes of Ray upon her. And then we go into that, yeah, yeah, Ray was definitely watching them. And that as soon as Susan said all this... The thing turned off, yeah. The glass just... And she couldn't get it to come back on. But she also remembered that she had hypnotized Susan and showed, like, told her words and pretty much said, For she lost her maidenhood to this wandering boy instead of Hart Thorn, Lord High Mayor of Magis. The comedy would be even greater, would it not? So now we know that whatever... Ray specifically said to Susan under her hypnot- hyp- hypnotization, being hypnotized, whatever you want to call it, has to do with something after she loses her maidenhood. Dun dun dun. Mm-hmm. Roland stared at her wide eyed as Susan explained about Rhea and little more fully. Yeah, mm-hmm. Explain some things. I imagine it was your imagination, he said, when she finished. I think not, with a touch of coldness, or coincidence even. Not coincidence. Conscience. Conscience, sure. With a touch of coolness or conscience even. At that, she lowered her eyes and said nothing. Susan, I would not hurt you for the world. And ye love me, still without looking up? Aye, I do. Then it's best you kiss and touch me no more. Not tonight. I can't stand it if you do. There's a lot of mixed messaging from this one. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of mixed messaging. So they keep walking and they realize that the foliage is just a little too... There's too many trees in one area. There's too dark. It's way too dark in this one area. Meaning something is blocking the view. So they go to inspect it. While they were still ten yards from the hem of the forest, both saw the glimmer of metal despite the dense foliage. Too dense, she thought. Too dense by far. I don't think it's that. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm how she said it, exactly. (laughs) The silver storage containers had been dragged over here by the oxen, presumably, and then concealed. But why? Can only, only, only imagine. Can only imagine. It's a good song. Anyway, <laughs> past <Yeah>. that. Um, <laughs> wow, where this is gonna be fifteen minutes on its own. It will um. be. Behind the camp, camouflaging bows, the tankers had been as neatly lined up as toy soldiers in the end of the day. At the end of the day. And Susan at once saw one reason why they had been hidden. They had been re-equipped with wheels, well-made, ones of solid oak, which came high as her chest. And she's tall, so these are big wheels. Each had been rimmed with a thin iron strap. The wheels were new. So were the straps and the hubs that that had been custom-made. Susan knew only one blacksmith in the baronies capable of such Fine work. Brian Hookie. Hmm, Brian. We know where you so where remember money when I come told from. you that you needed to remember something? Yeah. This is it. To whom she had gone to Felicia's new gone for Felicia's new shoes. Brian Hookie, who had been who had smiled and clapped her on the shoulder like a compadre when she had come in with her da shoe bag hanging over her hip. Brian Hookie Hookie who had been one of Pat Delgado's best friends. 
She recalled looking around and thinking that times had been good for Sai Hookie, and of course she had been right. Work in the blacksmithing line, line had been plentiful. Hookie had been making lots of wheels and rims, for one thing, and someone must have been paying him to do it. Eldred, Eldred Jonas was one possibility. Kimber Reimer, even better one. Hart? She simply couldn't believe that. Hart had his mind, what little there was of it, fixed on other matters this summer. Yeah, I'm getting him some. Mm-hmm. Some Susan Delgado. There was a kind of rough path behind the tankers. Roland walked slowly along it, pacing like a preacher with his hands clasped at the small of his back, reading the incomprehensible words writ upon the tanker's rear decks. Sitco, Sonico, Exxon, Conico. He paused once and read aloud haltingly, Cleaner fuel for a better tomorrow. He snorted softly. Rot, this is tomorrow. Roland, well, Will, I mean, what are they for? He didn't answer at first, but turned and walked back down the line of bright steel cans. Fourteen on this side of the mysteriously reactivated oil supply pipe, and she assumed a like number on the other. As he walked, he wrapped his fist on the side of each. The sound was dull and clunky. They were full of oil from the Sitgo oil patch. They were trigged quite some time ago, I imagine. I doubt if the big coffin hunters did it all themselves, but they no doubt oversaw it. First, the fitting of the new wheels to replace the old rotten rubber ones, then the filling. They used the oxen to line them up here at the base of the hill, because it was convenient, as it's convenient to let the extra horses run free out on the drop. Then, when we came, it seemed prudent to take the precaution of covering these up. Stupid babies we might be, but perhaps smart enough to wonder about twenty-eight loaded oil carts with new wheels. So they came out here and covered them. Jonas, Reynolds, and DePape? I. No. Reynolds and DePape, because Jonas went into a party. <laughs> yeah, he went to the party and said, y'all got this. Yeah. But why? What are they for? For Farson. For the good man. The affiliation knows he's found a number of war machines. They come either from the old people or from some other where. Yet the affiliation fears them not because they don't work. They're silent. Some feel Farson has gone mad to put his trust in such broken things. But, but mayhap they're not broken? Mayhap they only need this stuff, and mayhap Farson knows it. Roland nodded. This doesn't work in our machines. It's been tried. It clogs them. My, fo my folk in the Inner Crescent know that as well, and count on it. But if Farson has gone to this trouble and split aside a troop of men to come and get these tankers, as we have word he has done. He either knows a way to thin it to usefulness, or he thinks he does. If he's able to lure the forces of the affiliation into a battle in some close location where rapid retreat is impossible, and if he can use machine weapons like the ones he got that go on treads, he could win more than a battle. He could slaughter 10,000 horse-mounted fighting men and win the war. But surely your fathers know this. Roland shook his head in frustration. How much their fathers knew was one question. What they made of what they knew was another. What forces drove them, necessity, fear, the fantastic pride which had also been handed down, father to son, along the line of Arthur Eld, was yet a third. He could only tell her his clearest summarized. I think they daren't wait much longer to strike Farson a mortal blow. If they do, the affiliation will simply rot out from the inside. And if that happens, a good deal of Midworld will go with it. But surely even Farson must know, understand, the ways of the old people are the ways of death. Everyone knows that, so they do. Roland of Gilead found himself remembering a, cooked named a cook named Hax. A cooked? Wow. Dangling at the end of a rope while the rooks pecked up scattered breadcrumbs from beneath the dead man's feet. Haxt had died for Farson, but before that he had poisoned children for Farson. Death, he said, is what John Farson's all about. Mm-hmm. Good old John Farson. The good man. The good man. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how good he is. In the orchard, again, it seemed to the lovers, for, the, for so they now were. In all but the most physical sense. Hmm. That hours had passed. But it had been no more than 45 minutes of lots of foreplay. 
Summer's yeah. last moon diminished, but still bright, continue to shine above them. So they get confused. They step towards each other. They step back. They don't know what to do. They're like, do we hold hands? Do we touch each other? Do we not touch each other? I don't know what we're doing anymore. It says, and here was the most horrible thing of all. Strong as the wind of Ka might be, it appeared that honor and the promises they had made would prove stronger. What will ye do now? She asked through dry lips. I don't know. I must think and I must speak with my friends. Will you have trouble with your aunt when you go home? Will she want to know where you've been and what you've been doing? Is it me you're concerned about or yourself and your plans, Willie? He didn't respond, only looked at her. After a moment, Susan dropped her eyes. I'm sorry, that was cruel. No, she'll not ta tax me. I often ride at night, although not often so far from the house. She won't know how far you've ridden? Nay. And these days we tread carefully around each other. It's like having two powdered magazines in the same house. To which she touches his face. This'll have no good end. Which, if you keep saying that... Don't say that, Susan. I, I do. I must. But whatever comes, I love thee, Roland. He took her in his arms and kissed her. When he released her lips, she put them to his ear and whispered... If you love me, then love me. Make me break my promise. For a long moment, when her heart didn't beat, there was no response from him, and she allowed herself to hope. Then he shook his head, only for one, only the one time, but firmly. Susan, I cannot. Is your honor so much great, greater than your professed love for me, then? Aye, then let it be so. She pulled out of his arms, beginning to cry, ignoring his hand on her boot, and as she swung up into the saddle, his low call to wait as well. Girlie, you've been saying no, 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 no all night. <laughs> and you come up, you make me break my promise. You do that because I'm not going to do it, but you need to do it. So she rides away crying, and he's calling after her. She keeps going, and then she, like, touches her face and realizes that her hand's wet. So he had been crying, too. Girly, girly, girly. And Roland just kind of wanders for the rest of the night. <laughs> Around 3 o'clock, as he was about to turn for the barquet, he heard the rapid drumming of hoofbeats on the main road, approaching from the west. Without thinking about why it seemed so important to do so, Roland swung back in that direction, then brought Rusher to a stop behind the high line of the run-to-roid hedges. For nearly ten minutes, the sound of the hoofbeats hoof continued to swell, sound carried far in the deep quiet of the early morning. And that was quite enough time for Roland to feel he knew who was riding towards Hanbury, hell for leather, just two hours before dawn. Nor was he mistaken. The moon was down, but he had no trouble even through the brambly interstices of the hedge, recognizing Roy de Pape. By dawn, the big coffin hunters would be three again. Roland turned to Rusher. Roland turned Rusher back to the way they had been heading and rode to rejoin his friend. So the pape is back with the information that Roland is Roland, son of Stephen, line of Arthur Eld, and a gunslinger. Yep. Yep. That's... He's back with that knowledge. Susan now knows Roland's name. And we know she has some weird psychic slash just intuition connection with Ray, and Rhea knows what's going on. She just can't hear everything. Yeah, she just doesn't know that much. And just, it's going great for everybody. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, things it's going are great for everybody. Freaking fantastic. So, yeah. That's the end of chapter 9. Next up will be chapter 10. Bird and bear and hare and fish. We'll be reading to the interlude. Kansas. Somewhere. Somewhen. Over the rainbow. Along those lines, which Somewhere is like twenty-eight pages. The rainbow. So, so fun, fun stuff. And we have a chick who doesn't know what she wants. No, no, no. She knows what she wants. She wants Roland to do all the work for her. <laughs> 
She doesn't want a person. She won't break her vow, as she said like 14 times. But she wants Roland to make her break her vow. To which he is being a gen- gentleman. He's trying hard not to. Real hard. You know, it would have been better for Roland and his friends if Susan just died right here. Oh, geez. You could have just said Susan not been in the town. I would just kill her. If Ray had just killed her at the night of the honesty test. And be like, oh, well, Roland, look at that. You had a great time. You all figured things out. Good for y'all. Handle things. Why don't we just go back to, this would have been better if Martin never touched his mother. (laughs) Because... He wouldn't have forced his test that early. He wouldn't... His dad wouldn't have been like, kids, go that way. And then fine. (sighs) Regardless. Yeah, regardless. Are you chittering? Well, hope you all enjoyed. If you did, leave a comment down below. Leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel because we'd appreciate that. Go check out the rest of the books if you haven't been following along with us. If you have been, keep doing so. We're going to keep doing that. This is pretty awesome. We'll get to these books in three or four years. It'll be all right. Three or four years. Maybe faster than that. Maybe slightly faster than that. What? But as always, you can reach me at SARS Untraveled. Reach a man at KZ Pup. Reach a show at Beyond Our Focus. Everywhere, including YouTube and podcast services around the globe. Maybe. Maybe. Midworld. If you find a way to Midworld, Just find the door and let me Susan. know. Just so. Stay away from her. Susan. She's death. She is death. Puppy agrees. I don't know. I think Puppy wants to go outside. But. Don't say words. Bye! Till next time, long days and pleasant nights.